For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Women to Watch is an intimate look into the lives of prominent and influential women leaders from around the world and the challenges they faced on their journey. It's the real story behind her title. Join us every week to hear more stories about women from around the world and in your own communities at womentowatch.net. another week of Women to Watch. I'm Sue Rocco, and it's so great to be here. Joining me in just a moment will be Kira Strong. And Kira is the executive director for the City of Philadelphia's Rebuild Initiative. Um, So we're going to be hearing about her life story and all the work that she's involved with in improving and and really making more beautiful our rec centers, uh, our parks, and our libraries. It's going to be a really interesting conversation. As always, stay with us during the breaks where you'll hear from our watch team of on-air contributors and sponsors, bringing you news and information from their own organizations and industries. And for all information on the show, visit womentowatch.net. That's women, the number two, watch.net, N-E-T. So now I'm very excited and honored to welcome to the show, Kira Strong. Hi, Hi Sue. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Good. Thank you so much for having me today. I'm happy to have you. And thank you for kind of joining us last minute. This was um, an update to our lineup and I'm I'm thrilled to have you. I'm really excited to learn about the work that you're doing in my beloved city where (laughs) I grew up. Um, So I I did want to start off the show and talk a little bit about your background, where you grew up and came from. I think it's really interesting and cool that you uh, were born in um, a rural part of of Albany, New York, in what you describe as an old farmhouse. Um, (laughs) Talk about that a little bit. What was the community like and and how did you spend your time as a kid? Yeah, no, it's a... Far, far cry from Philadelphia, right? Right. Um, yeah. Uh, my, my beloved and uh, also and uh, new, new, uh, newish, no longer um, hometown. I uh, grew up, yeah, um, on a tiny rural uh, town along the Hudson River in upstate New York, not far from Albany, and lived in two different farmhouses actually during my childhood uh, before moving to a suburb of Albany for high school. Okay. Um, so, lived in fixer-uppers and, um, you know, old houses, small school, small community, went to elementary school and junior high there, spent a lot of time at my local library and playing sports and doing the stuff that kids do. Um, and it was really an adjustment moving to um, a suburb of that was quite, you know, with school quite a bit larger. Um, but I was um, really eager by the time I was in college and, and after to to live in a city. So uh, love the energy and the vibrancy um, of city life and came to Philadelphia in my early 20s and never looked back. 
never left. Um, can you talk to me a little bit about your relationship with your grandmother? I know that, you know, your grandmom and mom and dad were all artists, really, which is, you know, kind of speaks to where you got that um, interest. Um, tell, yeah. me, tell me about her. Yeah, I am. Um, so my grandmother was um, an, you know, an art student and then worked as a, a buyer at department stores. She had great taste. She modeled a little when she was younger. Um, and was became a painter, watercolor painter um, later in life, um, sold her work, traveled a ton, did a ton of uh, painting of um, nature, painting of animals, loved animals. Um, my mom and my dad also um, were in the arts initially, although then transitioned into second careers. And as we were talking about um, the other day, I think that probably helped inform, you know, I think my interest in um, things feeling and looking uh, beautiful and pleasing to the senses and um, probably growing up in spaces, you know, my grandmother's house was such a fun place to be and so pretty and, um, you know, just well-designed and you always felt comfortable um, and same in the house I grew up with in, with my mom. So I have to think that that probably helped inform my interest in, in how space feels and um, what we do to make spaces, whether they're public spaces or home spaces, welcoming and interesting and lively and, and places that people feel like they belong. Yeah. Um, tell me a little bit about the impact. Your mom and dad divorced, and that's mm. always tough on children. Yeah. Um, what, what impact did it have on you? I think, you know, in some ways, I think I was lucky that my parents divorced when I was very young. I was two. So I didn't really grow oh. up knowing anything different. Right. But what I did know um, was, you know, I lived primarily with my mom. And so she worked full time and um, didn't always have a lot, you know, certainly were, were fine, comfortable, had all the basics, not always a lot for extras, like maybe some of uh, uh, my friends had and that kind of thing. So certainly er learned the value of a dollar. Um, certainly started working early and was um, needed to pay for my own things and all that good stuff. Um, but I think what I saw was the the hard work ethic. Um, I think the ability for my mom to balance, she worked to balance working full time and being a single mom and trying, of course, to really be present um, and really, you know, be at sports events and um, be at school events and be present on weekends and, you know, all that good stuff. Um, and she went back to school herself to earn a master's when she shifted uh, wow. with art field um, and into actually of all things, computer programming. So watching someone, I think, wow. you know, a woman who, who really could do all that, right. And still yeah. be um, a very present mom was a great role model. So, yeah. so that was terrific, but certainly look, I was, and this, you know, certainly relates to what I do now. I was in after school programs. I was at babysitters after school. I was, you know, in camps all summer because my mom worked. So yeah. that was definitely just a part of, of that reality. Um, not a bad thing um, yeah. at all, but certainly shaped how I think about space, shaped how I think about being a mom, um, all that good stuff. Do you think it helped you to be more independent? Absolutely. Yeah, I do. Um, I think, you know, learning to, you know, getting a job at a young age, paying for things yourself, um, taking care of yourself after school, um, that kind of thing. Uh, and, and I know we talked about this too. 
Uh, I'm an only child, so no siblings. Uh, so certainly, I think you have to figure out how to be comfortable spending time on your own and doing yeah, entertaining yourself, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I think great question. It definitely did foster um, independence for sure. So, uh, you know, I wanted to ask you when you first recognized your passion really for transforming spaces and you told me a great story about, you know, going over to friends' houses and you found yourself moving things around (laughs) (laughs) without permission, perhaps. Yes. Um, Yes. So it sounds like you recognized it early that that felt good to you. Yeah, I, um, I I did get in trouble uh, maybe once or twice uh, for not, not checking in with my friend's parents. But, you know, you go over and spend the <laughs> afternoon with a friend. I'm like, you know, your room could really would look better if you moved your bed here and your dresser here. And so of course, we'd start a massive project that I'm sure their parents were like, why? What what happened here? Yeah, what's um, going on? Exactly. Um, But I thought, you know, certainly I was like, it looks so much better. This is great. It's so peaceful and calm now. So I think, you know, looking back, that might have been the beginning of, um, you know, really having a sense of how space feels when you enter into it. And yeah. um, Did you ever contemplate design? You know, that, you know, it sounds to me like you had, um, you were drawn to design clearly, which perhaps there's a difference between the physical appearance of a space and how it makes you feel. Exactly. Um, that is, yeah, terrific question. And I haven't thought about it in a long time, but I actually did at one point. I thought, is interior design the type of thing I want to do? Um, but I think I've also always been drawn to some component of what you're giving back um, to to where you live or to the world or, um, you know, what is your purpose kind of in work? And always, I think, felt... Um, that was something that really interested me. And, you know, initially I was drawn to nonprofit work, um, really thinking about what is it um, that I was going to do that had that kind of service component. Mm-hmm. And so I that kind of pulled me in that direction. And that's, you know, where I started. Nothing at all initially to do with design, um, you know, directly, um, but focused on you know, initial nonprofit work. I worked for the school district of Philadelphia for a little bit of time thinking maybe I wanted to do education. And, you know, I was really lucky. I met someone in my late 20s who was doing uh, real estate um, development with affordable housing. And I thought that's really interesting. You get to transform vacant properties. This is in Philadelphia. Um, you get to contribute to something looking and feeling better in neighborhoods. And I, you know, how did you get there? And, and what what degree do you have or what do you do to do that kind of work? And she said, I have an urban planning degree, a city planning degree. Um, so that really set me, that meeting set me down the path of pursuing urban planning and really has become that mix of, like you said, the design component, how spaces make you feel along with, for me, that how am I contributing to creating um you know, not to sound too lofty, but a, a better place to live in. Where did that sense or the desire um, to be of service, to make a difference, where did that develop in you? Did you experience something when you were younger or witness that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't I don't know if I can pinpoint one time or place. I think, um, you know, there could be seeing the disparity from the rural town that I grew up in, which was pretty poor, 
uh, to moving to a suburb of, of Albany, which was actually fairly affluent. And I think really registering as a 13-year-old the difference between the two spaces and, and places and the quality of life for families mm-hmm. in, in each of those towns. And I think that probably resonated in terms of, well, huh, okay. <laughs> there are all sorts of places um, and maybe there are options and sometimes maybe there aren't options. And so what are we doing? How are we thinking about creating more of a level playing field and more of a of a world that we all live in and all can thrive in? So yeah. maybe, maybe that, that's um, an excellent question. Yeah. Um, I want to share this quote. You said, I love creating beautiful spaces for children that make them feel valued and safe. Um, I love that. Who wouldn't want to do that? You know, we want every child to feel valued and safe. Um, And I just wondered if you could describe why do you think it's so important for our surroundings um, or or how do they um, affect our well-being, our overall well-being? Yeah, I, you know, I think about that a lot in the work I do with Rebuild. Um, We're addressing a lot of rec centers and libraries that haven't seen any kind of significant investment in in the space and the buildings or the playgrounds or the playing fields or the outdoors in many, many decades, some, you know, maybe 50 years. And, and that's not, unfortunately, an exaggeration. And you walk into these spaces where, you know, the floor is decaying, there's the, the you know, windows haven't been opened in 10 years, the, just the, the quality, the lighting is poor. If, you know, maybe partially working. Um, the bathrooms are not in great shape. And you just think, how, how, how would I feel if this is what I'm being offered from, from my city or my town or society, if you want to go, you know, bigger? It doesn't feel good. It doesn't give you a sense of being valued or that you're important or that you're deserving or worth um, more than that. And I think that's an incredible misstep and an incredible, um, you know, I think to, to set up our children for that level of expectation of their worth and value doesn't do anybody, doesn't do them any service, isn't um, certainly good for anyone. And so the ability to create a space that's beautiful, that has amenities and services that kids and families need, you know, whether that is a playground or it's a classroom space for an after-school program, whether it's a computer lab and a rec center or a library, so you can do anything from job searching to homework research or um, just play around and Google whatever you want to Google. Um, It's really important to have those spaces that facilitate those kinds of programs. And then, of course, layer on top, um, spaces are really important, but I think what spaces are important as is catalysts, catalysts for uh, programs and services. And programs are run by people um, and it impacts the way the people who run programs feel and what their energy and what they're um, communicating. And all of that together, I think really creates the special, um, you know, the magic that can exist in public spaces like rec centers and playgrounds and libraries. So that beauty um, and providing that sense of beauty and safety for children, I think, um, is hopefully one of the critical pieces that sets kids up for success in life. I think it's very difficult to be inspired in kind of a dark, dirty 
place, right? And and that inability to to be inspired, I think, is what's really missing for kids. Yeah, you said it perfectly. And and we all need that inspiration, right? Yes. Everyday life isn't always easy, and we all everybody encounters challenges. And I think the ability to feel some level of spark or joy or inspiration, or just also, I, you know, we talk in our team and I'm very lucky to have a phenomenal team here at Rebuild. Um, remembering too, that part of all the work we're doing and, um, and it's been a, a big push. Um, we're really trying to uh, address a number of sites across the city. We have 72 different sites. We're in neighborhoods all across the city. But look, it's all about also having fun. These are spaces where fun, you're supposed to go and have fun. So regardless of what happened in your school day or what maybe is is happening at home or whatever else is going on, these should be spaces that are safe, where hopefully there is someone running a program that cares about you Mm -hmm. um, and that, you know, you can hang out with your friends and maybe just have some fun. So it's really, um, I think we forget that sometimes. So there's so many other pressing issues for sure, but that's a key component. Yeah. Key, key component. Yeah. So I was stumped when you said to me, there's over 400 rec centers, parks, libraries, and 90% are in bad shape. That's, that's troubling. It's sad. Yes. Of course, (laughs) excuse me. It often comes down to money funds and people have different ideas of where money should be invested. I wanted to ask you how, what is your, um, how do you go about negotiating with people to get them to come to your side to understand why this area needs attention? This is where we should invest and spend money as opposed to other things. Yeah. And that's a tough one. And the need is just so great. And I think, you know, in some ways we're fortunate that some of the selection process is behind us at this point. We tackled that early on in the program. Um, about five, six years ago with city council and the mayor and certainly community members and constituents all weighed in to really come up with what the list that Rebuild would tackle would be. And of course, we looked at a number of data points. We talked to a number of people um, and really tried to figure out where are high-need sites in high-need neighborhoods. And so that's the majority of the Rebuild um, sites that were selected. And we use data such as health indicators, um, crime indicators, poverty indicators. And then we also looked, um, and those are what we called kind of our equity data set. Um, and then we also looked at an economic growth data set. So we looked at uh, residential building permits. We looked at household growth. And we looked at something called the market value analysis, which is really around where, where, where are neighborhoods that maybe are kind of trending down and maybe at a tipping point and maybe a rebuild investment would help stabilize that neighborhood. So that's really what we started with. And then we started talking with council people and residents around weigh in on this. This is what the data is showing us. And that's how we winnowed down to the 72 sites. And we knew it would be tricky. 406 sites across the city. So many have need, as you said. Um, and we have a budget uh, right now, at a, it's a, at about $500 million. So it's the largest capital program the city has ever done at one time. Wow. And it's the largest, um, probably the largest at one time initiative nationally as well for this kind of public space. Super fortunate. William Penn Foundation, you know, right here in Philadelphia, contributed $100 million of that budget. 
um, as a matching grant to really help encourage other philanthropy, to encourage the city to lean in, of course. So that's been um, really amazing to enable us to, to do to do what we're doing. Do you get involved, Kira, in, in fundraising or is your focus yes. just in design? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, no, we do. We um, are really fortunate. We have a, a, a small but mighty team of one person um, here at Rebuild, plus those of us who, who assist, um, who's working on fundraising. And we have been fortunate to fundraise just over $40 million so far. So, which is great because during the pandemic, um, you know, we certainly, the fundraising piece was tougher for us as, as, as of course makes sense. Folks shifted to funding food and housing and all sorts of things we needed to address during the pandemic. But since then, we've been really fortunate to, to gear up again and, and get additional support for rebuild. Good. Um, tell me how, what's your take on how, again, the initiative can help with crime? Mm. What is what is that connection, would you I say? I think it's, and, you know, uh, we certainly know in Philadelphia that that's something we need to address. And I think it's a, it's certainly a multi-pronged approach to addressing the crime that we're seeing. I think rebuild is a piece of it. I think providing the safe spaces that, uh, you know, again, like I was saying, make children especially feel valued and set them up for, give them that base and that platform and that kind of guiding path um, for what is possible, I think is really key. Um, I think having safe spaces for children to go after school on weekends, um, outside of, you know, outside of school, having these spaces, our rec centers are open till nine at night. We have libraries now with weekend hours. I think that's really key, keeping our kids safe and providing something fun and, and different to do. So I think we're a piece of the puzzle. Unfortunately, we're not the only piece of the puzzle, but I do think we're really. No. Oh, it's complicated. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, we're going to go into our first break. Um, stay with us for um, one of our watch team members. Um, we're going to be hearing from Visit Philly um, with a beautiful segment, ironically, about the city of Philadelphia. And we'll be right back with Kira Strong. I'm speaking this week with Kira Strong, and Kira is the executive director for an initiative here in Philadelphia called Rebuild. Um, the goal is simply to make the spaces here for young people, um, parks, recreation centers, and libraries um, more beautiful, a place where they can feel joyful. Um, libraries, it's funny, when I see library, I think what are the libraries like today? I don't know if it's good or bad that I haven't been in the library in a very long time, <laughs> but I would imagine they're a lot different from the library I grew up in, but it was just books and the card catalog. Right. Yeah. So yeah. Who's, going to, who's going to these libraries and what's happening there? Yeah, they, they have evolved for sure. I think um, our library system has done a great job in being really creative about serving the community members, um, in their neighborhood. I've seen everything from maker spaces to engage kids in, 
in making things and thinking about anything from 3D printing um, to tools to becoming really involved um, with hands-on activities. Um, Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. It's a library uh, in, in uh, lower north Philadelphia. It has a makerspace, which is pretty neat. I've seen birdwatching education. I've seen uh, with birdwatching kits you can check out. Um, uh, everything, mushroom foraging workshops, you name it. I think oh it runs. It's yeah, something it runs. good, clean, fun. Yeah, right? exactly. exactly. Uh, and, and then all the regular stuff we remember, right? So certainly yeah. hard catalogs, books. Um, a lot of job seekers use the library for the for computers um, and that kind of access. For you know, the library even does something where they'll take your headshot. Um, to provide headshots for people who are job seekers. So just to name a few things. So it's really dynamic, the programming that they offer. Yeah. Kira, previously you had the role of deputy director. Um, and I'm wondering how did that prepare you for your role as executive director? Yeah, I, uh, you know, I, I know I shared, I felt so lucky to, to, to land in this role, knowing, you know, already, um, just being so interested in these public spaces in Philly and and um, came on board at Rebuild as a deputy director for design and construction after working in community development and focusing on affordable housing, um, commercial corridor development, really thinking about neighborhood vibrancy and neighborhood health. And so this was such a, um, you know, great leap uh, and kind of jumping pad um, from that work. And I came in really focused on how are we going to do, how are we really physically going to do this work? Who are we hiring? How are we going to roll this out in, you know, eight to 10 years? What's that look like? And so I think being here from the beginning of Rebuild and all of the growth that we have seen, we started with a staff of five um, and quickly realized, I think, that that wasn't going to be near enough staff to run a $500 million program with lots of expectations around um, getting getting things done and done quickly. So we're now now a staff of almost 30, a little more than 30, actually. Um, and I think being here from the beginning and learning kind of on the job, you know, feet first and off we went, um, being part of the growth was really a, a great opportunity and helped prepare me for, for this role, for sure. It, it's a big job, you know, it's a big job. Did, were you fearful? Did you have fear that, you know, can I do this? You know, managing people is very difficult, right? Yeah. And yeah. then having to, to raise funds and get people really to agree on things. <laughs> it's a lot. So yeah, yeah. yeah. Did you, were you afraid? A little yeah, bit? of yeah. course. I think to say no, um, I don't know, how can you not? You know, my my parents always said, um, you know, you know, it's probably the right opportunity if you're a little bit scared. Mm. And if you're not scared, it's probably not the right opportunity. Right. There should be a little bit of um, how's this going to work? How's this going to happen? Um, but when I was asked to step in as an interim and then asked if I wanted the position, um, it just felt like such a an amazing opportunity that for sure would stretch and pull me Um 
it's a multifaceted, you know, as anybody who steps into leadership, this isn't unique. It's a multifaceted role with, um, there are a lot of goals of this program. In addition to um, rehabbing and renovating the spaces, we are also running um, a workforce development program. We're running a small business supports program. We are doing a really deep dive in community engagement to make sure that the experts, um, which are the the people and families that use these sites are informing what the renovation look like. Um, all of these are not what the city normally does when it renovates something. So we added a lot of components. Um, you know, the mayor was really emphatic when the program started that the workforce on rebuilt sites should be reflective of the city of Philadelphia. So we have really high goals for diverse participation um, in the construction trades and the professional services uh, on our sites, and we're doing phenomenally. We're hitting about 60% uh, diverse and women participation um, for the businesses and the workforce on our site. And none of this would happen without a team. And I think that is, I am always incredibly um, appreciative um, and need to acknowledge that not only the team here at Rebuild Um, But also, you know, when we work in communities with residents or we work with a contractor, we work with design professionals and architects, it's all hands on deck. And without their enthusiasm and their participation, we would not have the successful program that we have and the successful sites that when, you know, I think my team's really proud and I'm really proud when we cut the ribbon on a site, people are really happy with yeah. what they have sure. yeah and that's so key and nobody does this type of work alone and you know this and all the phenomenal women you've interviewed so it really um it does take a team and the management piece absolutely it's tough stuff yeah sure. gonna keep everybody rowing in the same direction and, yes yeah so that gets me back to you because sure. I'm, I'm curious what do you think it was that they saw in you to ask you to take this role, because I think that, you know, yes, it takes a team, but, but there's somebody guiding the culture and the attitudes and right. So what is it about you? Do you think they saw that they trusted you to take this leading position? I'd love to know that I should ask them that at some point. Um, but I think think being a convener is helpful in this role. We have had a lot of input into this program, a lot of hope, a lot of expectations, um, a lot of requirements attached to the program with all the goals that I was talking about, even in explaining it to you, I was like, we have this and we do this and we do this. So I think my ability um, to convene people to be able to um, be pretty practical and down to earth. Um, and I'm pretty tenacious and I think you have to have some tenacity to do this kind of work or, you know, most types of leadership work. And so I think that's probably a big piece and not, I mean, I will say, um, and you know, people certainly have opinions about this, but I, there, I don't have a lot of ego in that. I don't need, I do not need to be the star of the show. There's this many is stars. probably hard for you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. Interview, right. Yeah, exactly. So it's, I think, being able to create space for many people to be the star of the show 
um, is really important in this kind of work. Um, and you look, you certainly have to have enough leadership and enough um, energy and drive to be able to push the program forward and to fundraise and yeah. to get people on board to what sometimes can be you know, tricky situations and sticky conversations and all of that good stuff. But I really do think that being someone who can collaborate and convene is really, really key to this kind of work. Do you have um, on the days where everything is going awry um, and, you know, and you're stressed and you're concerned and worried about whatever, do you have a mantra, something that you say to yourself, something that you lean on that grounds you again? Yeah, I don't I don't know if it's a mantra exactly, but I certainly come back to this is such unique work with so much potential for impact that I just for all the headaches and the frustration in those days and most days something's going awry. <laughs> um, I really do come back to the work and what we are landing on the ground, what's becoming of all these efforts and what that means and how it resonates in the city um, and the city, which I love. Um, And I think also I've got some really good colleagues here at Rebuild. And so that's really helpful too. being able to rely on your colleagues um, that that keeps you going as well. So maybe not quite a mantra. Um, And then, you know, look, I think we all need, go ahead. ahead. As I say, we all need sometimes um, lately, it's been even people uh, outside of Rebuild or maybe outside of a project we're working on who just say, you know, who just say, you know, this work you're doing is very impactful or they're much more poetic than I'm being right now. But they'll just pick up something about a project or just, you know, I was traveling recently and there, someone said, you know, that's a really cool job. And I was like, yeah. It is a really cool job. Yeah. So, and certainly you know this, but sometimes even having, um, hearing that from outside uh, is always like a little breath of fresh air. Yeah. Not only that, you're not, it's not where you're working on a project that maybe is going to take years and finally there's going to be an outcome that'll come to fruition. You continually see progress, right? So there's always something improving on a regular basis, right? And that is, so I think that's unique that we get to actually see a physical product of what we've been working on. And sometimes, look, it takes a while. Design can take a year, a year and a half, two years. Construction yeah. can take a year, two year and a half. Certainly doesn't happen overnight, but seeing tangible um, results of the work that we're doing, it's pretty special. Yeah. I really like that. Tell me about, you. so you're a mom. You have a daughter, um, which adds a whole other element to your life, <laughs> a whole yeah. ele- another element of worry. Um, <laughs> what? Here's a question for you. When you think of her, um, and it's very difficult, I think, for young people today uh, to kind of manage just the, the influx of information and things coming at them. Um, if there was one thing you could change for her, maybe mm-hmm. wave a magic wand yeah you know, uh, that would make the world a better place, what would you hope for, for oh, her? That's a good one. You know, it popped into my mind right away, I think because you said influx of information. I have thought often about the fact, um, my daughter's 14. Um, I think it's hard to be a preteen and a teenager. And I have often thought, oh my gosh, what would I have done if I had all of the social media and all of that spotlight around when I was that age. I think that's really tough. 
Yeah. Uh, so that pop, I will say that popped into my mind when you talked about influx of information. I think um, not having that pressure and that spotlight on our children would certainly be helpful for them. Um, but of course, you know, your, your mind can go to so many other places too, right? You certainly wouldn't wish the, um, you know, the, the level of crime we're seeing and those types of things on, you know, just, I think all of, all of our kids and families in general. Uh, but I think, you know, we're also seeing really resilient, re- really resilient children um, who have a lot of information at their fingertips and are figuring out how to do a lot of, a lot of good with that information. Mm-hmm. So I think that's, that's pretty amazing too. Yeah. Do you have conversations with her about, you know, she see you're her mom and yeah. you have a big highfalutin important job in the city. <laughs> um, so she's seeing that that's a great example for her that women too can be leading, right? Yeah. yeah. Do, you, do you talk to her about that, you know, rather than just be the example? Yes. Um, but it's funny. I was just telling some coworkers earlier today, last night, she just happened to say, you know, adulting looks really hard. <laughs> she, she, said, she said, and there's a lot of repetition. And I was like, so she's, you know, watching us go to work every day. And of course, um, oh my God. So it was funny. And I was like, well, yes, you're right. But I said, you know, I think being able to find value in what you do. And I said, I really like my job. And I said, I think that's huge. I said, not everybody yeah. has that good fortune. And if you don't really like your job, boy, could that feel repetitive. But when you do, and it's different every day, which this job certainly is, it, you know, you can have some fun in there and you're challenged and it's energizing, not every day, but a lot of them. Um, so we actually talked about that quite a bit last night and I told her that I was um, having the good fortune of speaking with you. And so she was certainly curious about that. And um, we also talked a lot about the balance because um, it is a balance. You do have to really think about um, in leadership roles, you I could be here 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and I don't think the work would still even get done. And so I think being able to prioritize and figure out and then knowing when to kind of say, okay, like I have I have many priorities and my family is certainly one of them. And so learning as you do as the years go by, how to balance that, I think is really key. Yeah. Is she showing an artistic side? No, not so much. She, I think, is, um, you know, she's good at math and science, um, which my mom was too, ironically, my dad, not so much. Um, So she's kind of, we'll see. I don't know where she's she's like, maybe a doctor, maybe the, I don't know. So we'll see. (laughs) We could use more good doctors. We could. We could. Um, If I ask you, what's one of your most favorite spots in Philadelphia? Oh. Oh, that's hard. That's like choosing favorite children, right? Yeah, um, right. I, I, yeah, I think that about, um, you know, some of our our sites too. And when, when we work uh, across the city, it's they're so unique um, and they're so hard to choose between in terms of even, um, we did a ribbon cutting at Federal Square in North Philadelphia and the, uh, the community energy and input um, at that site and uh, particular one, particularly one community leader, Miss L., um, boy, I hope I can be like her when I grow up. She is uh, absolutely amazing. Um, so not quite a favorite spot, but just thinking about um, all of these unique sites. And so I might broaden my answer, Sue, um, if you'll let me cheat here a little and say, yeah, I think what I have loved about Philadelphia and why I came here at age 22 or 23 and never left is all of the uniqueness of Philadelphia. I love that we're a city that 
you know, has neighborhoods that are distinct and unique and have their own personality. And I see that, you know, every day in all of our rebuilt sites. No site is the same. We do not do a cookie cutter approach. Every site needs and wants something different. And I think, look, I think that's people in general, but I think that's very Philadelphian, right? It's a very Philadelphia thing. And I love that about this city. Yeah. How about what, when you're not working, what are you doing? What's your favorite thing to do outside of work? So we certainly, um, you know, walks in our neighborhood, our local swimming pool, um, not the library as much these days, as much as I would like, but we did go last week, um, going to the shore, love, love being so close to the shore, love to travel, take up every opportunity. If we can travel, um, that we can feel very lucky. We were able to do that. Um, and spending time with my, my, you know, my 14 year old, my husband and all in our, our dog and all of that good stuff. So, and eating in Philadelphia. I have to add that one. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. It's gotten so much better. The, Amazing. The, the restaurant scene here has really just exploded. Oh, it's I've been here, I think almost 25 years. And from when I came to now, it's like a whole other world. So it's, yeah. it's fabulous. Yeah. We, we just have a few minutes. I, I'd love for you to just kind of speak to the, to the women in particular who are in the audience and listening to your story. And perhaps they're on the verge of taking on something mm-hmm. big. Um, what is your advice for them as far as just kind of digging deep and finding that belief in their own abilities? Yeah, I think, you know, and I have to thank you for um, not only inviting me today, but also hosting this podcast um, and this show um, in general, because I think it's so important for women to see other women doing amazing things. I think that's a huge piece, seeing your peers um, and and getting inspiration. I think, um, you know, like I was saying earlier, even if something's maybe a little scary, um, or you're a little, little, little fearful knowing that some of that's really healthy and leaning into that and um, taking opportunities as they come. Uh, I always say also, I think um, maybe it sounds a little cliche, but it really has served me well. I think trusting your gut, mm-hmm. you know, when you have an instinct, um, listen to it. Mm-hmm. I think that's, that's really key. I've talked to my daughter um, about that. Um, and also understand that discomfort sometimes is okay. I was just talking to a dear friend this morning who started a new job and we were talking about the fact that you're always uncomfortable in a new job. And for me, I think it might take longer than most people. I think it's a solid six months of trying to figure out who, what, when, where, and why and getting context and taking it all in. And, um, so, you know, being okay with some of that and knowing that doesn't mean that things aren't going well or that you're not successful in, in what you're doing. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and I think that gut, listening to the gut is probably the most important thing yeah. and very difficult in a society where you're being told kind of who to be, oh, how, yeah. to, how to speak, <laughs> what to do. It's yes. very hard. Yes. Oh, yeah. yes, absolutely. So yeah. if we do more of that, um, I think the better the better off we are. Yeah. Well, I am so grateful that you took time out of your busy schedule. You're probably jumping right back to a meeting or something. Yeah, something <laughs> and, like that. Yeah, I'm yeah. rooting for you because I'm, you know, I just love to see anything that improves the um, the beauty of the city. Oh, thank you so much. Thanks for hosting this, um, for being who you are and um, bringing us all into these conversations. And uh, thanks so much for today.
conversation. Yeah. Thank you, Kira. I appreciate that. Um, stay with us. You'll see a beautiful spot from one of our sponsors, Penn Community Bank. And I will be right back. From Philadelphia to the Lehigh Valley and everywhere in between. For 150 years, Penn Community Bank has been a part of your neighborhood. Helping businesses start. Supporting families as they grow. And staying connected to the people and places that make this region special. It's who we are and where we're from. Penn Community Bank. Here we are and here we grow. That's it, everyone, for another week of Women to Watch. Thanks so much for tuning in. Um, next week, I'm going to be speaking with Kazar Fatmi. She is uh, from Sweden, actually, and she's an incredibly successful journalist, um, keynote speaker, and documentary filmmaker. Um, thank you, as always, to Helm Creative for helping to produce the show and to all of our sponsors and watch team members. Have a great week, everyone. We are CHOP, and we can't wait to show you around. We're the nation's first children's hospital. Now, a care network with more than 50 locations that continues to expand. Three state-of-the-art research buildings with 1.5 million square feet of space. We have grown from 12 beds 165 years ago to nearly 600 beds and one of the best children's hospitals in the world. We have a level one trauma center, 11 floors of patient units, more than 20 operating rooms, first of its kind delivery unit for babies with birth defects, a separate cardiac operative and catheterization suite, and places to learn, like our internationally recognized simulation center, we have trained generations of leaders in the field of pediatrics. We are world leaders in medicine, surgery, and science. One of the top recipients in NIH funding for pediatric research. In this building, pioneers in CAR-T therapy, mitochondrial disease, brain tumors, hyperinsulinism, and other rare diseases. Here, groundbreaking work in fetal surgery, genetics and genomics, and neurology. In our newest building, leaders in social determinants of health, clinical informatics and epidemiology, autism, trauma and injury prevention. Our patients come from every state and 115 countries. These challenges requires the best and the brightest. We are passionate about pediatrics. We are motivated to make a difference in the world and in our community. We are a team. We are CHOP.
you stream on a Roku, a Fire Stick, Google TV, or Apple TV? Now you can watch 6ABC 24-7 with the 6ABC Philadelphia streaming app. Watch Action News Live. And the big story on Action News. Plus special programming, breaking news, and severe weather updates. Tremendous amounts of rain. Always on. Always the news team you trust. Watch 6ABC 24-7 on your streaming device. Search 6ABC Philadelphia and start streaming today. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.